There's quite enough love for all the world, and in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world, and there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit is in this very room. In this very room. In this very. And so I invite you to know with me in this moment, as we breathe in in this moment, just appreciate what the lungs know how to do on their own, what this divine intelligence that lives within us is always supporting us. Our breath, we, we don't have to think about our breath. And so I just give thanks knowing that that is such a beautiful insight and clue to how much we are supported and loved. I, I celebrate on behalf of each person here and anyone that comes to mind as we share this prayer to know that they are blessed by the consciousness upon the words and upon, by your consciousness and your extension of love to them. The recognition of that one life, that one presence, beautifully represented by the breathing and the breath of life. That one life is my life, it's your life. And I just give thanks, knowing every good thing necessary for you and I to realize today in a beautiful, wonderful way to activate the gratitude in our lives in this moment so that we continue to bask in that third kingdom of consciousness where we're not having to micromanage everything, but to understand that we are in divine co-creation with spirit. So I celebrate the music sung today, the musicians, the expertise, the love, the light, the amplified sound all of the technology that we enjoy, comfortable chairs to sit in to remind us of how much we are supported at all times. To open to that in a bigger and larger way, I just give thanks. I release these words in gratitude and appreciation knowing that our capacity to give and receive has been ex expanded just by this moment of declaration and, and purpose and being. And for this I give thanks and I invite you to say with me, and so it is. All right. Well, good morning and welcome. Beautiful day, huh? We have been discussing meditation the last uh, few weeks in the month of June. And, it, and meditation is such a powerful practice. And so last week we talked about mindfulness. To, to, to be here now or not to be here now, mindfulness. And we talked about the four stresses. The four stresses are choice-based stress, you know, things like we decide to do like, you know, quit our job and look for another job, skydive, you know, take a class that brings, you know, brings us into that performance anxiety. Then there's the un unavoidable stress, things that happen with health or conditions in the world or th conditions in our family, those we love. The third is the uh, reactive stress, is how we manage both of those, the, uh, the choice base and the unavoidable. 
and then time-based stress. And so in, in support of those ideas, we used George Carlin's clip on YouTube, and it's called Modern Man. So if you're looking for it, it's, it's Modern Man, and he talks about all the, uh, the IMs that he declares in that 3 minute and 33 second, um, as only George Carlin can. And then uh, Maya Angelou's uh, interview with Oprah, where she talks about the awareness as she was guided by her teacher to the realization that she's loved by God. And that was quite powerful as well. And really a wonderful declaration of how to manage time stress, this idea that we're all aging, that you know, time is, seems to be moving by and all of that, you know, are we going to achieve all that we're called to achieve or whatever it may be, and how mindfulness plays a part in that. So what I wanted to, to ask you as we talk about heartfulness is I've got a question that we'll put up on the, on the screen. I want to know how many of you, um, how many of you as children, your mother or your dad uh, said to you, uh, here's the best way to communicate when you're angry so that your relationship can flourish in honesty and love. It's just a show of hands. How many people had that discussion with mom or dad? And at what uh, age did you have that discussion with mom or dad? Okay, we didn't have anybody raise their hand at the first service either. And the point is, is that this stuff is so important and we don't teach it. It's not part of our culture. It's not, it's not what we, where we lean and, and move into. And I'm not talking about religion, and I'm not talking about spirituality. I'm talking about a practice that allows us to ground ourselves in the truth of our being. And it's a, it's a, it's a biological, and it's a psychological, and an emotional, and it's also spiritual. But it doesn't have to scare anyone. I remember when I got into meditation in my early 20s and my mom and my sister thought, oh my God, you can't be doing this. You're Catholic. We don't meditate. What's wrong with you? Who do you think you are? I mean, it was, and that, they were sincere. They thought I was like, you know, uh, I had just entered into a vow with the devil. You know, it was just fascinating to watch. I said, I'm meditating. Come on, you guys. And so it, it was threatening. And I got it, and I did it anyway, and they didn't like it, and they still don't like it. And I still love them. I get it. But it's, you know what? At the end of the day, it's none of their business. My consciousness and my life. So, we don't train it, but it's so important. And the great thing is that it's available to us now. And I want to talk about these ideas because Rumi said this. Rumi said, let yourself be silently drawn by the stronger pull of what you really love. Let yourself be silently drawn by the stronger pull of what you really love. And it's so important to understand what we really love. And mindfulness that we talked about last week is the on-ramp to heartfulness. Mindfulness is so important because if we jump to heartfulness without, without some proficiency with mindfulness... Kennedy Schultz used to say, he was the uh, president of our organization for years, had a beautiful work in Atlanta. He used to say that love makes the world go round and the law keeps us from getting dizzy. In other words, that if we just jump into the love all the time, we make stuff up about love. Anybody ever done that? Yeah, a couple over here on the left, so I'll talk to you guys. <laughs> we make stuff up. We do, and, and so if we're, if, we're, if we're living our life from fantasy and stuff we've made up because it's all about the love, and it is all about the love, but it's, but it's not grounded in, in solid fundamentals of understanding and depth of wisdom, it's, it's, it's just spinning. Dr. Holmes said it's announcing. Then we're just announcing. We're running around declaring our affirmations, but there's, there's no substance to it. 
And, and so, and not that it isn't great. I mean, better to be positive all the time and, you know, and, and, and standing on the street corner with your bullhorn and you're letting everybody know that something wonderful is happening here right now, you know, as people are speeding by and ignoring you. But it's the consciousness upon the words. And so we dip out and we, and we, we, we you know, we have experiences with things. We speak beyond our level of experience and people know it right away. So I want to talk a little bit about this. Go back up a little bit on mindfulness so we can launch into the, the heartfulness. It's so important, and it's, it's such a beautiful thing, and so I'm so grateful to have the opportunity and the information and the mentors in my life and the experiences that I've had. There's a, a teacher, professor, um, wonderful man that has done a lot of work on mindfulness. Um, uh, mindfulness, golly. Jonathan Cabot Zins, mindfulness-based, that's it, I can't remember the B-based, mindfulness-based stress reduction. And he has a quote I'm putting up there on the screen, it says, developing intimacy with who we are the, the, is the bare bones of present moment awareness, is a muscle we can develop. See, all of us need to develop the muscle. And we don't, and, and I think my experience with people that get into meditation go, I can't meditate, I can't meditate, I'll do anything but have to meditate. I'll even read the science of my textbook. Just don't make me meditate. <laughs> you know. but, but the point is, is it, uh, talk about that today, what, what, what's going on with that. Because it's powerful. And it's not a problem. There's nothing wrong. The pro- so let me get into this a little bit. So Jonathan Kabat-Zinn's, there's a talk on YouTube called Befriending Your Mind, Befriending Your Life. And it's brilliant. It's 12 minutes long, and I, I pulled this information out of it I want to share with you today. And if you want to reinforce it, it's on YouTube. He talks, he begins to talk to an upward facing dog. And Elizabeth was here, she's a um, uh, presider today, and she was our uh, uh, presider at the first service. And she's a yoga teacher. And there's several, I know there's several yoga uh, teachers in the, in the room. And, but upward facing dog is a yoga position. And he talks about uh, Jonathan Zinn, or um, um, talks about, or John, yeah, John Cabot Zinn talks about that's it. It's the yoga position. That's it. That's the practice. They're very little involved. You're on, your, you're on your front, on the ground. You push up. Your arms are involved. You hold your head up and you breathe. That's the practice. That's it. And he says that, that it's, that's the curriculum. The curriculum is being. And it seems so boring and, and pointless. Why would I want to hold that position? I got all these things I got to do. I'm managing my life, man. Are you kidding? I'm working three jobs. How can I, how can I possibly hold this position? But it's inhabiting being, and, and, and if we do it enough, all of a sudden, an awareness awakens in us. Something shifts. So cultivating awareness is a muscle. Cultivating awareness is a muscle, and it requires practice. And what awareness develops within us is emotional intelligence. It develops self-recognition, which is huge, and self-regulation. Self-recognition, self-regulation. So, give you an example. You know, most of my life when I would get angry, I would say, I'm angry. And, and boy, is that fun. Isn't that fun being angry? What, and what John, Jonathan Zinn says is that to switch what awareness does when it triggers it, self-recognition and self-regulation switches it from I'm angry to it's angry. And then to observe it. It's angry. Wow, look at this. What's going on here? And and he says if we can sit in it long enough, and it requires patience, if we can sit in it long enough, it comes and goes. It 
comes in and it goes out and all of a sudden it'll come back in again. Hmm, wow, isn't this something? So someone asked me this week, when is this over? When do I keep repeating all these patterns? And I said, never. But what happens is, is we grow when we awake and we look at them differently. Carl Jung said it perfectly. He said, we never forget, we grow beyond it. And as we develop the consciousness and the depth of being, see, because we're not, we're not angry. It's angry. It's just the same thing that Brene Brown said when she talks about guilt and shame. Shame is that idea that you're bad. And guilt is, I did something bad. And if you, you hop into guilt, it's like, I can do it differently. It was just behavior. But it's not a self-identifier. And so I'm angry from I'm angry to it's angry. Wow, anger's coming through. Because what happens is then we don't buy into it. See, most of us believe it. We buy into it. And then we think it's us, and it's not us. It's experience. It's an, it's an emotional wave and experience moving through us. And mastery is to realize, wow, this is, I better stay in today because it's angry. <laughs> it's not going to do well out there with people. I'm staying home with it. Because what happens is when we can observe it, we don't buy into it, then we don't have to go out in the world and shoot somebody. And then we don't have to hate ourselves. And, and I know how sobering that is. You know, the Mounties just died in Moncton. Another student just killed people in Seattle. And two weeks before that, it was Santa Barbara, and it's been Sandy Hook, and it goes on and on and on. Because we have a whole culture of young men that believe that, that when they get angry, that that's who they are. And they run with it. And so when I say we don't teach it, when did your parents say to you, you know what, here's a way to communicate when you're angry so that your relationships can continue to be balanced in love and joy and health. I didn't get that. My parents didn't know how to do that. So you can't pass on what you don't have. And so what we get to do is we get to develop this. So somebody came up to me after the first service says, you know, I have a, I have a grandchild at home. And whenever he gets angry, I sit, he sits on my lap, and I love him. I love him. And he said, I just hold him in that. That's my meditation. And I thought, oh, my gosh. Where were you when, when I was growing up? You know? And it's a practice. It's a practice. And see, we don't have practices like this in the West. They do in the, they do in the East, but we don't have practices like this. In the West, we think a practice is getting ready for a performance. When I was in high school, the football coach used to look at me because I'd always say, Coach, I've got to get to play practice. And he'd say, Cameron, there's something wrong with you. What are you doing hanging out with all those theater people? Because I loved it. I loved the, playing the football and I loved the, the theater stuff. And, and he'd say, by the way, it's a rehearsal you're going to. And I'd say, thanks, coach. See you later. But we were practicing for a performance. There's no performance with, with the state of being, meditation. And so with meditation, what we have are we have practices, and they're all great practices. There's, there's breathing. Everybody ever done a breathing meditation? Watch your breathing, track your breathing, just appreciate your breathing. It's a wonderful meditation, but it just seems so boring, doesn't it? And then there's yoga, and there's, you know, there's mantra meditation, and there's meditations of feeling. I love the Sufi meditation of dissolving things into your heart of unconditional love. It's one of my favorite meditations doesn't matter what the practice is. What's important is the attending. These practices allow us to attend. It brings us into present moment awareness so we attend to our state of being. And it can be through yoga and it can be through meditation and that's why there's so many modalities. It can be through a labyrinth walk if that's the thing that you're called to in your heart. Wonderful. 
They're all great. What's important is it's attending. You know, I talk about planting flowers. We just had a group of volunteers out here planting all these beautiful flowers yesterday. It was great. And in, in a way, that's a meditation, people attending to that. But it depends also on the individual, what co- level of consciousness you bring to that. But it, what it is, is giving your love and attention and care to something. And it may be your breathing. Spirit doesn't care, because when you come into that awareness, all of a sudden you're attending. So why do that? There's a wonderful study uh, that do- uh, Dr. Zins did. I think he's still up there. Yeah, there he is. Wonderful man. You can go on YouTube and listen to his stuff. It's fabulous. There's a young guy named Norman Farb, and Norman Farb decided to do a study, and he works with Zindel Siegel at the University of Toronto. And what he did was, he talks about, Zin talks about mindfulness-based stress reduction, MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction, MBSR. And what he did was, uh, Farb puts people into um, an MRI machine to measure brain activity which is amazing, and I know we've all seen that stuff. I mean, isn't it amazing the science we have to measure what we sense, and now we can measure it? And what they did is they put a, a two study groups, one that was, was versed in MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction, and another that wasn't. And they put them into the MRI, and they studied them. And he wrote a book called Self-Referential Modes of Knowing. And it's a phenomenal study, according to Zen's. I haven't seen it, but he, he, he's quite enthusiastic about it. And they showed these people adjectives that would trigger, trigger um, brain activity. And so what he would say to people is they'd bring them in and they'd put them in the MRI machine. They'd say, just lay there. Don't do nothing. Your job is just lay there. Do nothing. And you know what happens? We can't lay there and do nothing. It's impossible because what happens is there's a track right down the middle... They call it the narrative network or the default mode, which means that when we say people tell us to lie there and do nothing, all of a sudden all these thoughts come into our heads. And we're thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking. It's the same activity that keeps us up at night when we're thinking and thinking and thinking. Has anybody ever done that besides me? Yeah, okay. That's the default mode. And most of the world lives in default mode. Most of the world believes that they're angry, they're bored, whatever it may be. So... It's in, and what happens in that default mode is it's the story of me. Our narration, and the problem with it is, as Zinn says, is the problem with the narration, this line down the middle of the brain, it's too narrow, it's too repetitive, and it's too negative. Just the nature of it. So what happens is we come out of here and we got a good affirmation going and we're going to stay positive and all of a sudden we get in our cars and something happens and, and 15 seconds later that narrative starts. And we're thinking, thinking, and we're telling our stories of me. Because that's where that lies in the brain. What happens with people when you put them in the MRI machine that have been trained in MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction, is it extenuates. That line down the middle opens up. And all of a sudden, because of the practice of mindfulness, because people have sat in it long enough to observe what's coming up and say, wow, you know, it's angry. It's jealous. I was getting ready for this talk today. And I'm like, can I put this all together? Can I make sense? And I go, wow. It's worried. Cool. I got to practice what I was going to talk about. It's worried. You know, you know, won't have it together. And then I just, and I sat in that. Uh, isn't that fascinating? You know, have you done this before? Yeah. You think it'll be okay? Yeah. Okay. Keep preparing. Bless you. So, what happens with people that go into the uh, the machine that have tra- practiced mindfulness-based stress reduction is. 
it opens up other networks. And eventually, there's no story. There's no story. It quiets down. There's an integration, which is I tell people all the time, in the last five or six years, I sit in meditation. Like when I go to Abhijani, I'm just gone. With, with John of God, you sit in meditation for hours, as some of the folks that went with us. But it's, it's amazing, but it's just like, wow, it's just boom. The story stops. And I find that frequently. But I, years and years and years of meditation have brought me to that. It doesn't matter if you're starting tomorrow and never done it. You start, you start where you are. It's not a race. But what happens is, is that when there's no story, what we end up doing is breathing, and we're in the body, and we're now. Breathing body now. And those other networks open up, and all of a sudden that thin line of story and me, 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 me quiets down. And then the, the network that's experiential has an opportunity to influence what's happening and settle. Because what happens with that center line a narrative is it's too small, it's too boring, too negative. And then what we become is we become antisocial to ourselves because we're spinning in it so much. It's hard to love yourself when you're in that story that you're making up and you're worrying and you're fixing and that's what the Buddha called the dukkha. The Buddha called it dukkha which means suffering. It's, it's ignorance. That's why the Buddhists meditate so much because they understand it's open up to the other networks and the other wavelengths on the, in, the, um, in the capacity of the mind. And so when we look out in the world and we see these, these activities going on that frighten us and disturb us of our young men getting so angry and acting it out in ways that are totally inappropriate, for me it's an indication that we have not trained and, and, and empowered our youth to understand they are not the anger. They're having the angry experience. How important this work is. And it's not about converting anyone. It's saying you need practice in your life to slow down and be present And what happens, when we're, what happens when we stay in that narrow band, the narrative, we become depressed, we create drama, and, then we, and we, there's, we're not able to bring these other beautiful aspects of ourselves online. It's like, having, it's like having one email that you contact all the time, one message, one channel on your television set, one radio station, all you listen to. Now, in the case of my mother, all she watches is Fox News, so it would be applied to her. But the point is, is that there are other channels out there. Breath comes in, breath goes out. So the whole thing with this breath thing is boring, isn't it? Why would we want to do that? So there's a practice, there's a practice in Hindu which is called the uh, uh, Nadi Sadhana. And Nadi Sadhana is this alternate breathing. If you've ever done it with your thumb and your middle finger, and you close one nostril, you close your mouth, you breathe in with one nostril. See, now, I'll tell you, if I just keep breathing in, breathing becomes very, very interesting and exciting for me. Because at some point, I start wondering, am I ever going to take another breath if I just keep breathing in? Try that sometime. Breathe it in, and then, and then just keep breathing it in. And then all of a sudden, it gets exciting because you're wondering, wow, I better take another breath or I'm going to pass out and that will be exciting. See how breath can be exciting? But it's interesting because we take these things for granted. You know, if we're having lung problems, 
all of a sudden our breathing becomes very important to us. You know, for years and years and years, I've taken, it, I've taken it for granted that, you know, physically I can move on the planet, no problem. Last year I've had a lot of challenges with my legs and my hips and my knees and back. And then all of a sudden that becomes, <laughs> I don't take it for granted anymore because there's, there, there's care needed there. There's attention and there's care and awareness needed there because I want to keep moving. And I want to take care of what I have. So all of a sudden my appreciation changes and I don't take it for granted. You know, you have a heart attack, all of a sudden, lifestyle becomes very important to recover from that and strengthen yourself. But we take, we take advantages of these things at times. And so it's the opportunity to, to train ourselves in the arch of becoming ourselves. To train ourselves. What if we were to start training our children not only to be great at math and science, but also truly that we would say, you know, all of us are so well-versed in, in, in managing anger so that we can sit down with our children when they're angry and say, well, you know, I understand you're having the experience of anger, but you're not angry. You're experiencing anger, and it's totally different. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be here. I'm going to hold a high watch with you while you go through this experience, and it will come and go. Wouldn't that be great? You know, I, my dad would have thought I was crazy if I went to him and said something like that. You know, he just wasn't on his radar screen. Their gifts brought us to this point. At least that's the way I, that's the story I make up about my parents. They didn't have the luxury of this insight and awareness. They were given one thing to believe and follow it and obey the rules. And if you're really good, you might get into heaven. And so I appreciate that. And, and, and the limitations in that inspired me to find and seek other things. And for a long time, you feel like you're disrespecting your elders because you're, you know, you're, you're, you're stepping out on your own and you realize, no, what I'm doing here is I'm taking what they gave me and I'm building on it. So this, this mindfulness is so important because mindfulness will lead us to the heartfulness. And heartfulness is that capacity to understand. So why would we want to be in the heartfulness if, if our, our emotions are running us ragged. If all we're doing is experiencing our, our emotions in this narrow band of thinking that creates negativity and drama and resentment and frustration, why would I want to experience that? But when we understand that the, 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 when we can be with it and not identify with it, to label it and say, wow, it's angry or it's bored. See, boredom is a very exciting state to be in because you can work with it. But we're, you know, I know as a kid, I never wanted to be bored. Who wants to be bored? But it's just another state of being. So I, I, I pulled up some of the, the, the pitfalls around heartfulness that are easy to, to uh, slip into. Number one, there's a thin line between narcissism and following your heart. And, and people will say that. You know, many times, I've, not many times, but a few times, I've, I've run into people in Edmonton, they go, oh, you're that minister over there at that... Center for Selfish Awareness. <laughs> well, I've never heard it called that before, but okay. Are you talking about the one at 7621 Avenue? Because we've had several names here. And, and, and you can understand why people do that, because, or say that, because you, it, it looks like when we start to enroll ourselves in our spiritual practice and to really deepen in our spiritual practice, it's easy to go too far. And so it's always that balancing act of how do I nurture myself? How do I take care of myself? How do I still meet my obligations? How am I still a good parent? How am I still a good partner and a good employee? And, you know, I've watched people go off the rails with it. And so it's, it's finding a way to manage and understand it's a journey. You know, it's not a quick fix. 
But they have the awareness, and, and, and maybe your, your practice that you begin with is, the, is the, the, the breath. You know, that you find yourself when you, you go, you let your breath take you down, and it's just breathing for the sake of breathing. It's, this is the practice. This is the curriculum. I mean, and sometimes it's just as simple as watching what your body does, what it actually knows what to do. It's, and, and, then, and then understanding that the more and more we do that, and even five minutes a day, all of a sudden we start to develop this, this ability to be with what's, what's firing in the middle of our brains, and then all of a sudden those other networks start opening up. I talked about it last week when Ramdas was working with Pierre, Pierre Vallant, and Pierre Vallant comes from my legacy of Sufi mystics. And so Ramdas had written that book, Be Here Now, and it was all about Be Here Now. And Pierre Vallant said to him, Why would I want to just be here now when there's all these realms that I can travel to in my meditation? And so they argued about it, they had different opinions about it. But when we start to open up those other networks, all of a sudden, the ideas that are waiting to land with us can land. But it takes practice. It's a muscle. It's a muscle we develop. And it takes you as long. It might take one meditation. It might take you a thousand meditations. It takes as long as it takes. But I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in listening to that frequency. So, number two, you cannot have everything you want. You simply can't. I can't, you can't, but what we understand, if we understand what we love and we start to move in that direction, that's where the juice is for us anyway. You don't want everything. I don't want, uh, you know, when I, I, years ago I did a, pra- a play with pra- Patrick Swayze and, you know, I watched his career take off and, and, and there was part of me, the envy part of me, wanted that. I want that. That looks like so much fun. That looks like, wasn't mine, wasn't my path. So, you know, as much as we look out in the world, you know, it's understanding that and understanding that what we want may not line up with what somebody else wants. Number three, this whole journey requires a sense of humor. So you got to Holmes said, life is either a, a tragedy or a comedy. We get to decide. And I think it helps us to hold this lightly with a sense of joy and appreciation. So when you get angry next time, go, wow, look, at, look who's angry in there. It's angry. <laughs> Hmm, that's funny, isn't it? And number four is to stop. At some point in time, we need to to own our own consciousness, our own divinity, and we need mentors. We need people around us that have gone before us. Years and years and years ago, I worked with a a psychologist, and I worked with a practitioner, I worked with a minister. Because I wanted to dive into it. My nature is if I got an issue or I'm in a situation, I don't want to repeat this. I want to get the learning out of it so I can have another experience next time, not this one again. And so I've always been real motivated in terms of that, of understanding my part to play in it. And I'm not saying that has to be a practice, but what I'm saying is at some point, all of a sudden, a number of those things fell away because I started to own what people were giving me. Now, I still have mentors. I still have people that I collaborate with, and I will always have that but not at that acute level, but I needed to be in that intensive care. I was in the emergency, spiritual emergency room for a number of years, doing my work. And and it's given me a foundation where I don't have to go back and revisit so many of those things because they're they're part of my nature now. And so when when this stop is part of it, it's just owning it. And you'll you'll know that along the way. So how do I know I'm growing? How do you know that you're growing? Number one, when the phrase self-responsibility no longer sounds like marching orders. Go to a workshop, go to church, and the guy says, self-responsibility. Oh, is there any other option? Is there an option B? No, self-responsibility. But instead, it's delightfully, it's a delightfully sane and optimistic way to live. I'm responsible for all of it. I've created this, and I get to, to create it in a new way. 
And the tools that, that created this, as is, is, uh, Einstein said, you know, that it's, it's lifting us up in consciousness, why mindfulness is so important, because the level of consciousness that created the problem is not going to take us into, resolve that problem. Number two, when you naturally find yourself relating to pain and problems as grist for your spiritual mill. Stuff shows up, it's not, it's not because you're being punished by some arbitrary and capricious life force but we've brought it into our life so we can look at it and lean into it and, and, and deal with it and master it. And it's tough work. And we need help sometimes. We need support and we need love and we need all kinds of things. We need to be, you know, we need our cup full. But to, to understand, this is, not, this is not to defeat me. This is to inform me. Number three, when you apply spiritual and psychological truths to simply everyday truths and not try to force them on the world for the good of mankind. There's nothing scarier than a born-again new thoughter, man, because you're going to save the world. I tried to save my family. None of them are sitting here today, so it just give you an indication that But you want, you, you know, it's like, hey, you found this great thing. Let me tell you what I'm doing. And they look at you like, oh, you've always been crazy. You're the guy that started meditating back here in the 70s. And the fourth one, when you no longer want to blame others, past or present, but are intrigued by your own sneaky psyche. Look at the stuff I'm making up now. Wow, this is so cool. And challenge to become more honest, compassionate, and free. So the takeaways. The on-ramp to heartfulness is mindfulness. To be able to be in it and understand it and not to self-identify with it, but to say, there it is. It's angry. It's jealous. It's afraid. It's broke. It's drunk. It's addicted. Mindfulness is a muscle developed by mindfulness-based stress reduction. And boredom and anger can both be like rain. You know? How many of us rail against the rain when it rains? I mean, it's disappointing at times when we're planning an outing, but it's rain. And to have that same relationship with our feeling nature. Oh, look at that. It's rain and anger right now. I have a clip from Jim Carrey. It's a commencement speech at the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi University in Fairfax, Iowa. I spent a weekend there one time at a retreat. It was incredible, incredible uh, a retreat weekend, and it's wonderful. It's a minute long talking about his journey and his life. Spend your whole life imagining ghosts, worrying about the pathway to the future, but all there will ever be is what's happening here and the decisions we make in this moment which are based in either love or fear. So many of us choose our path out of fear disguised as practicality. What we really want seems impossibly out of reach and ridiculous to expect, so we never dare to ask the universe for it. I'm saying I'm the proof that you can ask the universe for it. My father could have been a great comedian, but he didn't believe that that was possible for him. And so he made a conservative choice. Instead, he got a safe job as an accountant. And when I was 12 years old, he was let go from that safe job, and our family had to do whatever we could to survive. I learned many great lessons from my father, not the least of which was that you can fail at what you don't want, so you might as well take a chance on doing what you love. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but we might as well take a chance on doing what we love, huh? Instead of taking that, that what we think is a reasonable and safe choice. Because if we're in alignment with that, 
we're going to be supported and we'll know it and we'll know it in our hearts. But if all that we have is that narrow band of thinking running through our lives all the time, it's very difficult to trust ourselves because we make so much stuff up. That's not true. Fear or love. I want to live from the love and the love is those, those network bands that allow me to open up and listen at a different level of being. The last slide I want to share with you is from Rainier Maria Rilke, and he is a, um, an Austrian. And the first quote is, perhaps all of the dragons of our lives are princesses who are only waiting to see us once beautiful and brave. And he also said, work of the eyes is done. Now go and do heart work. Let's go and do heart work. Let's do what we love. And let's quiet that craziness that is so prevalent upon this planet and to stand in the truth and the love and the inspiration that we are, we are hardwired for as spiritual beings having this human experience. Blessings and love. And so it is.